Hello, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mandy. Um, I'm not on the pastoral team here. Oh, don't touch that. That's special. Um, I'm someone who helps out occasionally, and they've given me the opportunity to talk to you tonight. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Do you know, I had a bit of a laugh in that last song because the first verse is pretty much exactly what I'm planning to talk to you about tonight. I'm laying down my life. I'm giving, giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. I'm living for your glory on the earth. Can I just thank the musos tonight because it's actually really easy to preach after that. <laughs> um, you set the scene and so it's amazing to come up here and have the scene already set so lovely. I'm going to pray for us before we start, because I think that's a good place to start. Lord Jesus, thank you that your Holy Spirit is here and that your Holy Spirit is paving the way for us. And Lord Jesus, I just ask tonight that my words would be few, that the words I speak up here would be yours and that they would be anointed by you and that they would go so deeply into people's lives simply because they're your words. Amen. So I thought I'd start by showing you a little gif that I thought was a bit funny when I saw it. So Claire, if we can make that happen, that would be great. I reckon, guys, just continues in that manner. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight who's willing to be honest enough to say that that resonates with them a little bit. Oh, look at you all. And you responded. What church am I at? This is amazing. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love you, Mosaic. Don't say that. Um, I have to tell you, I sent that clip to a friend of mine a few weeks ago, and I actually had said the words. This is legitimately me right now. If only I had a working metabolism. Because I feel like I'm spending my life without a lot of nourishment going on, without a lot of spiritual nourishment, physical nourishment, emotional nourishment, just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, trying to make it through to the end of the day, trying to make it through to the end of the week, trying to make it through to the next set of school holidays. And I think when we live our life that way, when I look back on my life, I think we live with a danger of squeezing God onto the sidelines because we're busy running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. I found another little picture last week, which I'll get Claire to show you. I don't know if you can read it. The top one says how I should be doing it. The middle one says what the doctor advised against. And the bottom one says current situation. Yeah. So in my life, I work at a school. And so I'll wake up in the morning. I often, I go to the gym before school every day. And then I go to school. And I walk in the door. Most of the time, I don't get to my office. I've started going in the back way because I'm trying to hide. Um, So I don't make it to my office before a kid comes to see me or a teacher comes to see me. And I get dragged over here. And then I get dragged to that meeting. Then I make it to my office. And then a kid comes in and they want to have a chat. And we've hit about 10 minutes into the day. Haven't logged into my emails yet. Got emails sitting there waiting for me. Reports I need to write. Reports to funders that I need to thank. And still, I feel like I've done nothing. And that continues until about three o'clock when I leave school. Again, I can't get to the car park because there's too many people trying to pull me in 50 different directions. 
Then after school, I normally have a meeting here at church for something, whether it be youth ministry or women's ministry or something to do with safe church. And then I might run a PT session because I do that for fun or I might run boot camp, which I do that for fun too. And then I might have youth ministry or I might have another PT session after that. And then I come home, still haven't eaten dinner. It's about 8.30 at night. I sit on the couch, I fall asleep, go to bed, wake up the next morning and go again. That's my life. Friday rolls around and I think this weekend's going to be amazing, right? I'm going to have free time. My weekend is spent doing everything that I was supposed to be doing during the week that I didn't get time to do. So I'm doing my washing, I'm doing my groceries, I'm doing my cooking. Well, actually, I haven't been cooking because I don't have enough time. And then I might do something at church on Sunday. I come to Thrive. I come up here and preach. I do something with the Reflected Congregation. I'm just totally filling my life with stuff. And it's not that any of it is bad stuff. I love everything I do. There's just a lot of it. And because I'm running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing like that, God gets squished into the sidelines. And I don't think that's how Jesus wants us to live our lives. I'm going to talk about this week. It's a very sad event that happened this week. The state of origin, right? So I was in Queensland with 700 chaplains watching the state of origin. And can I tell you, those Queenslanders, Queenslanders, they care a lot. Don't get me wrong, I support Queensland, but they're like, you know, next level, yeah? So you could argue in the state of origin that the best ever player, I think, for Queensland is probably Jonathan Thurston. And I've put a picture up on the screen because I figured we're in Canberra and you've got a lot of really elite, educated people here and you're going to pretend like you're too big, too good for the rugby league, right? So that's Jonathan Thurston if you don't know him. I would tell you, I think he's probably the best ever player. He's the one that has, like, the knowledge of the game. He's the one that knows how to play the game. He's the one that knows, has the the God-given talent, right? Can I tell you, in our life, I think God needs to be like Jonathan Thurston before he retired. Here we go. (laughs) I thought there'd be some people who didn't like this analogy. I need you to hang with me, okay? There's someone else who doesn't like the analogy. Let me tell you why I say this, right? In our lives, God's the one who knows what he's doing, God's the one who has the ability. He's the one that should be in charge. Let's pretend next year the state of origin, right? They decide they're going to put me in the Queensland team, yeah? The game starts. The ball gets kicked off. Somehow I get the ball. Now, I can't catch, so I doubt that that's how it happened, but somehow I get the ball. And the Blues forward pack comes hurtling down the field towards me, right? And I'm standing there with the ball. You guys are smart. What's going to happen? That's right. I'm going to die. That's exactly right. Yeah? I might, if I'm feeling very good about myself, decide to get that ball and waddle off in the other direction, but they're going to catch me. And if Jonathan Thurston is not on the actual field with me, right, he's over on the sideline, he's probably going to be over there going like, run in the opposite direction. Run for your life. Yeah? Can you see how preposterous it would be for me to try and live that game that way? Can you see in my life, if that's like the state of origin, why it doesn't make sense that I'm trying to play the ball to figure out the plan, to get everything happening the way it should happen. Now, I recognise it's a bad analogy, all right, because it's like if Jonathan Thurston would need to know everything about everything and the history of the game and be all things. I get that, all right. I just needed you to hang with me for a moment. The other analogy I want you to think about, Claire, can I get you to put up the next one? Oh, you can't see what that is. I'm not much of a photographer. So during the week, as I said, I was in Queensland for the chaplaincy conference and we got to stay at SeaWorld. Yay! I went on roller coasters. Not yay. Um, But anyway, I go into the hotel room 
beautiful hotel room. I walk in and it's pristine. Everything's clean. There's fresh, fluffy towels. There's little uh, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and all these other little things that I don't know what they are. There's a stocked mini bar, right? It's amazing. Everything's clean. And I walk into the room and there's the bed. You guys know I have, people who know me know I have a thing for how the bed should be. The bed is immaculate, right? So the sheets are white and crisp. It's tucked in really, really tightly. So when you get in bed during the night, you can't actually move and you're stuck in this position for the entire night. It's absolutely perfect, right? And on the back of the door, you find this. What is it? It's the do not disturb sign. Why is that amazing to me? Because of how I live my life. That sign means don't come in housekeeping because Mandy's napping. That's what that sign means, yeah? And I think sometimes we live our life with a do not disturb sign on our life where we say to God, I'm busy running things my way. You can't get involved in the plan. You can't set the agenda because I want to do this the way I want to do this. The problem when we live our life that way is that over time, if I leave that sign on in my room, what happens? We run out of toilet paper. We don't have our little shampoo, conditioner and all the other little bottles. The minibar may get empty. I only have so much self-control, people. The towels are all sopping wet and gross on the floor. The bed's not made anymore. It's not crisp and white. The sheets might even be dirty. I've probably got stuff all over the floor. And the same is true spiritually when we live with our do not disturb sign on. God's not able to give us our fresh sheets, the gifts that he wants to give us. We don't have a fresh revelation of God. He's not able to clean up the mess that we sometimes create. He's not able to restock our minibar. And you live that way for a couple of weeks, days, you know, week. It's not that big a deal. You live that way for a month. starts to get a bit awkward. You live that way for a year, a decade, or a lifetime, and you end up living in hoarders buried alive. And you're an anxious mess because of all this stuff that's stacked up around you and that is totally overwhelming. When all you need to do is remove the do not disturb sign that you've got sitting on your spirit. Now, when I was young, right, I always thought to myself, that when we lived our life this way, somehow God was displeased with us, that he was like angry or upset. And I have to tell you now I'm old and mature. <laughs> I actually don't think it's, that's the case at all. I think the person that misses out when we live our lives this way is us. I think we don't get all the stuff we need to live the best life we can. I think God's not able to give us what he wants to give us out of love. I think we aren't kicking goals in our life. Or in the Jonathan Thurston analogy, tries, yeah? Last year, next slide, Claire. This was my motto for last year. Do less, comma, better. So my motto last year was that what I was going to do is stop saying yes to all these things... And start to do the things that I would do better because I was doing less. Now, over the period of the year, about six months in, the comma in the middle somehow fell out. 
and my year just became do less better. And I ground myself into the ground for the back half of the year. So much so that earlier this year, I was talking to a very trusted friend of mine. And I told him that my motto for last year was do less, comma, better. And he actually laughed in my face and said, how'd that work out for you, Mandy? And can I tell you a little secret? If you're a young person, say 30 or under, and you're living life this way. Sorry, I consider myself old. I know I shouldn't. and you're living your life this way, if you're feeling that pressure of running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, if you're feeling like you're all over your place, it's actually just going to get worse. Because over your life, that pressure builds. So you get yourself a job, then you get good at your job and you get promoted. And then they give you more work to do because you do that well, and so you get promoted again, and then you get more work to do again, and it goes on and on and on until your job gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you might decide, hey, you know, what's the normal thing that we do? We find a partner, yeah? Then you have to invest time into that relationship because what I've heard is unless you do that, it doesn't really work, yeah? And so you have to find the capacity to do that as well and that's extra pressure. And then what do you do once you've found that that partner? You buy a house, right? So that means you have a financial pressure. You have 30 years of paying that back to the bank because that's how a corrupt system works. And so you have the added financial pressure of that, which makes you work more, going back to being more pressure at work. And then, lo and behold, what happens next in life? We have babies, right? Well, some of you do. And what happens with that? You have to invest into that as well. And most of my friends say that that's pretty hard work. And then you go into the next phase of life and you have elderly parents or relatives you have to look after. That's a whole nother thing of pressure. And then you might have something good that you do in your life that you find fun and you figure out you're good at. So you've got to try and fit that into your already pressure-filled life. Then you might start to do ministry. And if anything's going to add pressure into your life, it's doing ministry, right? And can you see as you get older and older and older, the pressure just builds and builds and builds unless you figure out a way to make it work. And the reason I think we live our life this way is because of fear. I had this great story I was going to tell you. It was about my family. You were all going to laugh hysterically about the preposterousness of my family. But I felt like God asked me not to share that tonight. But what I will say is this. I think this fear is a double-edged sword. I think the first fear we have is that we worry what other people will think of our life if we don't live under that pressure, because that's what normal people do, right? And I think the second element of this fear is that we worry that we're going to somehow miss out on something. We worry that we won't accomplish something with our lives. We worry that there will be this great opportunity over here that we will have said no to, and then what will we do if we don't do that? But the truth of the matter is, like the do not disturb sign on our hotel room, if we live our lives this way without Jesus being in charge, without letting him in, we actually miss out on the best thing that could ever happen, which is him being in charge of our life. When I look at how Jesus lived his life, he wasn't like this. He didn't teach us his followers, to live our lives like this. The Bible reading we're going to look at to start with is Luke Luke 9, verses 23 to 24. And it should come up. Yay! It says this, "If If any of you wants to be my follower, 
You must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Let's think back to the state of origin. I somehow get the ball next year and I'm holding on to it thinking I've got to do everything I can with this ball. Take every opportunity. I've got to run down that field or dummy or kick or something. All these things that I cannot do. Yeah? Jesus is saying if you want to save that life, give it over to me. If you hang on to it, you will lose it. And how do we do this? We do this by taking up our cross daily. What does that actually mean? That means daily going after what God wants in our life. Having our own plans interrupted. To tell you a Mandy story, a few years ago I was sitting in my car before work doing my quiet time. And I used to do that because that was the only space that I had where I wasn't pulled in 50 different directions. And as I was sitting there doing my quiet time in the gym car car park before work, I felt God say, it is time to quit your job. To give you some context, at that point in time, I was working at Bernardo's. I'd been there for almost a decade. I was like one of the second in charge, I guess, managers. I'd sat on an expert panel the year before. Now, doesn't that make me feel like amazing about myself? There's nothing like the government calling you an expert. And I felt God say, it is time to walk away from that. And I was shocked at first because I knew God had called me into that job and I felt like he was there with me every day. And at first I was like, oh, maybe I'm having a bad day. Maybe I need a holiday. You know, maybe I need to, this is not a God thing. But over the next couple of weeks, again and again and again, coincidences happened that confirmed that. I don't believe in coincidences. I think God is bigger than that. So I quit. That meant a massive change for my life. As I said, I was in a position of management. I was one of the people in charge, yeah? I had a straight line plan to how I was buying a house with my sister. It was all amazing. And then I became a chaplain. There's no chance of buying a house while I was a chaplain. And I'm one of the most overlooked people in my school every day. Can you see how God just totally swung that plan around? He totally interrupted what I thought I was wanted or what I thought I was doing. And can you see, if I hadn't had that space in the morning that I had created in my car, in the gym car park, seeking after God for my life, that I wouldn't have been interrupted. And that interruption has been probably the best experience of my life. It's not just me that lives my life this way. I think Jesus lived his life this way. Think about how many miracles there were where he was doing something else and he was interrupted by people and he had to change what he was doing. I think of the story of feeding the 5,000. It's one of my favorite stories, Matthew 14. We're not actually going to read it. But basically, if you read it beforehand... Jesus was trying to find a place of seclusion. He was trying to get his introvert on, right? And the crowd followed him. And what happened? He fed the 5,000. He taught them. 
His original plan there was interrupted and changed. I think about when Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan. He's asked, what does it mean to love? And he tells this story. We don't know a lot about the Good Samaritan, but we do know this, that he was on his way somewhere else. And he stopped. And he helped the guy who was injured. And he took him to get better, to get help. He stayed with him for a short time. He paid the bill and then he left on his way. He was interrupted. And we need to be willing to be interrupted on earth. I'm going to say this with trepidation because I saw what happened when I brought up Jonathan Thurston. Yeah? If you are sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, I want to do this. I want to lift off my do not disturb sign. I want to let God be in charge. I want to just follow him like this. It's been my experience that if you let God do that, he is going to mess you up. He's going to make you uncomfortable. He's going to stretch you more than you ever thought was possible. And he's going to be totally inconvenient about it. Hence the title, our inconvenient God. And Jesus was inconvenienced. Think about his very existence on earth. He chose to leave heaven to come to earth to be tortured and died. That's a bit inconvenient, right? Jesus told a rich young man in Matthew 19, should come up, yeah? He said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come and follow me. That's a bit inconvenient, right? I have a bit of a special relationship, I guess, with the character of Nicodemus in the Bible. Um, I won't share the story about how that happened, but Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's one of the people in charge. He's like the head dudes in the church, right? And he's mentioned three times in the book of John. The first time he's mentioned, he goes on the quiet, at night, undercover, and has dinner with Jesus because he wants to hear what Jesus is about. And Jesus tells him about the idea of being born again. Yeah? The next time we meet Nicodemus in the Bible, it's when the Pharisees, all of his crew, are trying to illegally arrest Jesus. It's not when they actually do it. It's before that. And this is what happens. We're going to read John seven forty-five to 52. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures, see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. I want you to think about this interaction, right? Nicodemus is there with his crew, his people, and they're trying to do something illegal. They've mocked the guards. They've ridiculed the crowd, calling them stupid. These are the religious leaders, right? And they've actually said God should curse anyone who follows Jesus. And Nicodemus stands up and says, hang on, guys. 
To give you some more context around this, right? John 12, verses 42 to 43, it says this. Many people did believe in him, Jesus, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Nicodemus faced possible expulsion from the synagogue for standing up. And he stood up publicly to all his peers and said, hang on, guys. Can you see how much of a big deal this is? He's already gone from, I'm going to hang out at night and go and talk to Jesus, to now publicly standing up. The last time we hear Nicodemus mentioned in John is after Jesus is crucified. And we're told he brings 75 spices, 75 pounds of spices to the burial of Jesus. He went from, I'm going to do this on the quiet, so no one knows. I'm going to stand up in public and declare that I want my peer group to think about this differently, to going against the grain completely, bringing a personal, expensive sacrifice offering to Jesus' burial. One of the things my dad used to say before he died was, if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. That's Jesus. If you give him an inch, he will take a mile. If you let him in little by little by little by little, he will take over. And it's going to be one of the best things you're ever going to do. But it's also going to be one of the hardest. Something funny that I love about God is that he will pick to work in you and through you in ways that you would never imagine, in ways that you would never guess. But it will always be on his agenda and it will be with his timing. And he may even make you confront things that you really, 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 really don't want to confront. Do you want to hear another Mandy story? Wow, I was trying to get out of it. Okay. A few weeks ago, (laughs) I went to a women's retreat and this lovely lady prayed over me. She was one of the leaders and she said to me, we'd only met for five minutes. She said to me after she finished praying that she'd had this um, picture that she wanted to share with me. But before she shared it, she told me she wanted to go and pray with her friends who are all leaders of this group and then come back in a couple of weeks and talk to me about what God was saying. And I agreed at that point in time for that to happen. Had I realized how gifted this woman was and what was going to happen, I would have like run like the wind, or in my case, waddled like the wind, yeah? Um, But I didn't know, and so I agreed. So we met up a couple of weeks ago, and she started in our coffee shop telling me things about myself that she could not have possibly known. So at one point she says, so you're a social worker, right, Mandy? And I said, Yes, who told you that? And she's like, God. And I was like, oh, this is so awkward. Like, this is scaring me. I'm not liking it. Anyway, she says to me, she said, God told me, Mandy, that he's giving you more and more opportunities to stand in front of people and speak. So like in this capacity. And she said, and he's pleased to do that. And I was like, okay, I'm still on board. And then she said, but you need to know that if you want to speak anointed words of life here, You have to be really, really careful about the words that you use in your everyday life. 
She used the scripture where Jesus says that bitter water and sweet water can't come out of the same well or the, the same spring. And she was saying to me, you can't expect to stand up here and say anointed words of life in this environment, but then in your everyday life, say other things. And I kid you not, she said to me, so the things you need to be aware of that God, I think, wants to challenge you on, Mandy, is things like um, criticism, complaining, (laughs) bitterness, judgment, you know, even things you take for granted like swearing. And I sat there a little bit panicked, starting to get a bit flustered because I was thinking to myself, if I stop doing all those things in my life, I'm going to be a mute. And then she went on and she said, Mandy, I want to talk to you a little bit about family. And I said, no, no, I don't want you to talk about my family. And she said, no, we really need to talk about your family. And I said, please don't do this. And she said to me, Mandy, one of the things that God has told us is that your family has done significant damage to you in your life. They've caused you a lot of pain. And I said, yes, that's called trauma. And she said to me, well, God wants to tell you that that significantly affected how you have relationships with people. And I felt like I was in front of the game here. I was like, I know this. God's been talking to me about this for years. He's talking to me about the idea that I need to be vulnerable with people and I need to trust people and I need to bring these people around me and build a crew. And I said to her, I feel like I'm doing really well at this at the moment. I've got great trusted friends who speak into my life and I've given them permission to do that. And I've got a great community of people here at my church. And she said to me, Mandy, that's all really good, but that's not what God's talking about. She said, Mandy, the pain from your family has significantly affected your ability to have romantic relationships with men. She said to me, that's caused you to make some poor decisions in the past with men, and you've been hurt by that. And she said, instead of dealing with that hurt and dealing with the pain of that and coming to terms with that, You live in hiding, and God doesn't want you to live like that. And my 40-year-old single self almost went under the table at the coffee shop because I felt so embarrassed and just open and like I didn't, shocked by what was said, basically. Because if you don't know me, there's probably a small portion of truth to what she'd said. And by small, I mean about 100%. And so the next day I went for a walk with my dog and I was mulling over some of what she had said. And I was thinking, God, why? Why would you want to talk about this stuff? You know I don't want to, so why would you make me do this? Yeah. I even started to get on my little high horse a little bit with God and I was like, you're supposed to be loving and that's not loving. (laughs) And I was like, and you're supposed to be kind and that's not kind. I even got higher on my high horse when I was like, do you know, talking to her and not talking to me, that's gossip. You shouldn't be gossiping because you're God. (laughs) Yeah? And you know, in a moment of clarity that has to be God because it's clearly not me, I felt God say, Mandy, I have been trying to talk to you about this but you haven't been listening because you've been distracted. Do not disturb. And then the next day I went for a walk with my dog again and I continued to mull over this. Yes, I am the crazy person who talks out loud as I walk my dog. My dog is my therapist. I think that's why he's going deaf. (laughs) And I said, that's when I felt God say to me, Mandy, I want you to take away that hysterically funny story about your family that I talked about before 
And I want you to replace it with this story. And I was literally like, why would you ask me to do that? What actually literally said out loud, what is wrong with you? Yeah? Because for me, I was like, these are the people that I love. These are the people that I hope one day in the future will respect me, although I feel like that ship is sailing. Yeah? Why would you ask me to share this story here? And as I'm walking along with my dog, making every excuse that I can think of in my brain, two words came to me as clear as anything. Jonathan Thurston. You see, if you want to put Jesus in charge, if he's going to be the playmaker, if he's going to run the game, then he's going to run the game. And it may stretch you. It may be uncomfortable. You may not like to go where he wants you to go. But that's what it means to have him in charge. Now, you guys know who do personal training sessions with me, right? I'll come up to you after the session a couple of days later and say, were you sore? And the reason I do that is because if you answer yes, it means I'm doing the right thing. Because I know if I want to be stronger, if I want you to be stronger, if I want you to do better, If I want you to lift heavier, if we're talking weightlifting, then it's got to hurt. And if it's not hurting, then you're not getting better. And the same is true spiritually. If you want to do better spiritually, if you want to lift heavier, if you want to be more used by God in your everyday life, then he's going to have to hurt. And I've made that sound really negative, and I am sorry about that. But can I also tell you, it's the best way as well. One last Bible reading, I promise. I'm coming into land. (laughs) Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, and this is the amplified version because I like it. It says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to life. And there are few who find it. Letting God have his agenda in your life is the narrow path. And at times it will be difficult. At times it will be hard to travel that path. But it's the only way to have a real, fulfilling life. Andy said last week, he said, Jesus, just, Jesus didn't come to earth and die. And, Jesus didn't come to earth and die just to get us into heaven. He came so that we can have a real life here and now, today. If you've only got the first part of that theology, you've missed a massive thing that God offers us. And it's a good thing. I stood with someone this week, a young man, and out in the cold, and he was telling me about over the last few months, he feels like God has asked him to undo some of the stuff he's done in the last few years, undo some of that damage, make some changes to his life. And do you know his exact words to me were, Mandy, no one understood, people thought I was crazy, they couldn't understand what I was doing, but now it is so good. He said, things with God are so good. My life now is so good. 
And that's what God is offering us if we're just willing to take off our do not disturb sign and let him be in charge. So the band can come up. Yeah. Um, One of the things I've tried to do tonight is follow God, (laughs) but be a little bit vulnerable with some of the stuff I've shared. And I think the reason God has asked me to do that is because there is power when we speak things out loud. Not just for us extroverts, you introverts too. When you actually speak something, it becomes real. And so tonight, that's what I want to encourage you. If, you, if there's something tonight that's been said that has touched you, it doesn't even have to be in what I'm saying, in the pre- preaching time, in the worship time, whatever, share it with someone. We've got, a worship, we've got a prayer team who would love to pray for you. We've got a pastoral team who would love to hear from you. You are here with family, God's family. Share it with each other. But speak this stuff out loud so that it becomes real in your life. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, um, I just ask that the words spoken here would fall on fertile soil in our lives and that we would live lives where you're in charge, where we honour you and where we take up our cross daily because that's what you encourage us to do. Amen.